Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, April the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's part two of the Dolphins draft series here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We talked quarterbacks on yesterday's episode, and now it's time to cover the rest of the offensive positions, wideouts, tight ends, running backs, and yes, the girth of the episode, the offensive line. But first, before we jump into any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. We are a top five podcast in the Locked On Network as far as the NFL channel goes. So we thank you guys for that and all your support. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Tell a friend about the podcast and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of content for you guys up there every single day. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with John Ledyard and the Draft Dudes Podcast, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We have plenty of show to get to. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Up first here, we'll go ahead and start with a position that might seem, for the most part, pretty well taken care of between Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balaj, but the running backs. And what they're looking for here at this position are, can you catch the football and can you contribute in pass protection? Because those elements of the Patriots are the ones they're going to bring over to the Dolphins, and they are not going to put up with missed assignments, and they sure as hell will not put up with fumbles, which is why I contend that they will never be in on Duke Johnson as he struggles in both of those areas, and I'm sorry for that. Hurricanes fans. Also, they're going to want guys that can run routes from plus splits on the outside part of the numbers because that was a staple of the Patriots offense. You flex out a couple of running backs out wide, you get your tight ends in the slot, and then you have your slot receiver like a Julian Edelman or like an Albert Wilson or like a Jakeem Grant, and they get two-way goes with one-on-one coverage, sometimes against a linebacker when you do that. It allows the offense to be fluid between sets regardless of the personnel package. Now, Drake and Balazs provide you with a very solid 1A and 1B option, in my opinion, and the Dolphins will almost certainly act accordingly going into the year. And if you listen to any of the draft podcasts, it's universally agreed on that the strength of this particular running back class comes in the middle rounds. So with that, we can cross off picks 13 and 48 because I think most likely those two picks and probably 78 as well will not go towards a running back. But then again, of course, the Dolphins could trade back and that does change everything. In which case, I suppose you could see them go in that direction. But even then, I think Josh Jacobs comes off the board in round one. I don't think David Montgomery is going to be the type of back that they want in this draft class. And he probably goes in round two as well. So we start in round three and it's the guy that I've been hyping up this entire process. Penn State's Miles Sanders was electric in the first part of the year before he took on some injuries that really slowed him down later in Penn State's season. But he is a threat to flex out and run routes from the slot, also get out wide like we talked about. He's superb in the screen and draw game, and I think they could view him as their Deion Lewis in this offense and possibly be a guy that, while he does get some work in 2019, a guy that maybe replaces Kenyon Drake if he leaves via free agency in 2020. 
We also know the Dolphins met with Daryl Henderson, the Memphis running back. He's an interesting option there, as is Devin Singletary out of FAU. Singletary has that second gear. When you give him a crease, he is gone to the house. That's fun to watch. Then you look at some of the backs that might offer more the opposite of a LeGarrette Blunt type of presence, a Damian Harris from Alabama, an Elijah Holyfield from Georgia, a Benny Snell from Kentucky. Those are your mid-round lunch pail Packers right there. We'll see if the Dolphins go in that direction. I don't think they will, but it's an option for them. Just beyond that portion is my favorite back in the entire class. And yeah, I am probably biased in this, but he did lead college football running backs in catches last year. James Williams out of Washington State University. Go Cougs, have to get that in. Not only did he catch 89 passes last year in Mike Leach's offense, but he dominated the combine and looked fluid and easily able to transition from pass catcher to run after the catch threat. I really like his game. He was big time for Washington State last year. And some other names here across the state at University of Washington in Seattle, Miles Gaskin, he's a good looking player. And he had, I think, four straight years of 1,200 yards running or rushing production at the University of Washington. Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. There's a great story about his character as he was met. I think it was Eric Dickerson came into their to their practice one day and told Trayvon Williams to score every time he touches the ball in practice. And that's what he started doing. And he took on a big time leadership role. I think he's a guy the Dolphins staff will love for that reason but he's also a good football player too. So you have to have that caveat as well. And a late round lottery ticket for me is Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma. He's a dominant force in the passing game. He just can't stay healthy. So we'll see what that means for his draft future. And let's go ahead and transition here real quick before we take a break and get into the big part of the episode, the Dolphins' biggest need, the big uglies up front, tight end. And that's a position that has been a little bit frustration inducing for Dolphins fans over the course of free agency with the Clive Walford signing with a Dwayne Allen signing but it is telling of what this team wants at the position and what they want the makeup of their offense to be I do think the Dolphins will sit out on this position in the draft but if they want to consider some late round options I think that they have some ideas in the same vein of Dwayne Allen a guy that can play in line and basically serve as your sixth offensive lineman and really serve as a blocker that can also leak out on chips and releases and get out into the pass pattern, out into the flat on tight end screens and that type of thing. But the guy that sent me to his tape from the combine because I had never heard of him was San Diego State's Cahill Waring. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I know Cahill is right, which sounds kind of like Kale, but whatever. He is body beautiful, carved out of stone, just muscles on top of muscles. And San Diego State University is known as Stanford South because they'll line up in 12 and 13 personnel and just smash you in the mouth. That's Waring's game. That's what the Dolphins have been after this free agency period. So maybe they go back in that direction. Some other players that fit that type of mold. Georgia's Isaac Nada. He is refined in this area. Ali's Mack out of Notre Dame is a smash mouth running game piece there up in South Bend. Drew Sample up here in Washington. He's a tight end that fits that bill as well against another or for another team that loves to run the football. Now you look at what the Patriots have had with Rob Gronkowski and even going back to the murderer they once rostered. I suppose that's always an option, but we do know that the Patriots were keen on Mike Gesicki last year, and they met with him throughout the process and immediately traded out once the Dolphins selected Gesicki, one pick in front of them. But I also want to make it clear that just because the Patriots organization, and that could have been one person in the organization, liked Gesicki, that doesn't guarantee that Chad O'Shea likes him as well. So we'll find out what they think. I still think the Allen signing says more about their thoughts on Durham Smythe. 
but he also was better than Gasecki as a rookie. So who knows? I know that's not saying much because Gasecki was a train wreck, but he's also more of a receiver and we should see him use more in that role because he was in line blocking way too often last year. I don't know what the hell Adam Gates was thinking. He kept talking about having a plan for Mike Gasicki, but his plan was awful. So maybe they'll go in a new direction and find a new player there in Mike Gasicki. And next here on the podcast, we're going to get into that position outside of the quarterback that is the biggest need on this roster. We're currently looking at Laramie Tunzel and a bunch of, well, not so impressive pieces. We'll talk offensive line next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked on Fins. Push it to the limit at this position group where it's all about pushing people around and the meat of this episode here on the April 3rd Wednesday Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am still in Hawaii right now, now on my honeymoon, but what better way to celebrate the marriage than to talk about massive men whose job it is to push around other massive men. And first, what do the Dolphins look for in their offensive line? They're going to be looking at players that can anchor and pass pro, but that have excellent feet and the ability to get out on the edge and guys that understand different fronts, what game packages look like in front of them, whether it's stunts or twists. And I think they'll be really, really valuing the leadership qualities and people that have something of a mean streak, a nasty streak in the way they play football. And I still contend that Miami will likely move back and try to repair the offensive line in the middle of this draft, much in the way the Patriots have done over and over and over again. But there are options to plug and play at the first pick, number 13. And it starts with Florida right tackle Jawan Taylor. He is a guy that was a right tackle in college, and I'm a big fan of keeping guys at their position from college because they come in more ready to contribute in year number one, and it's just less of a hassle as they kind of get this crash course of becoming a professional football player, the last thing you have to help want them to do is change positions. So Jawan Taylor, a right tackle, true and true, much in the way Jawan James was at Tennessee, but he moves on to Denver. As we all know, he was a guy they met with at the combine. Jawan Taylor was, he's the best offensive lineman on Florida by far and is so fluid in the way he moves as a pass protector. I think they'll love him as an option, maybe as Tua Tungavailoa's right side, blind side protector. Who knows? Jonah Williams was the best left tackle in the country all season long, and he also has that nasty mean streak and a good strong punch, but those arms that he punches with and the hands he punches with are pretty short. So does he move inside? We'll see. He wants to play left tackle. He would not play left tackle in Miami. He'd be a guard for sure. A player that I don't think is a scheme fit, a guy that could be a first round pick as well as Andre Dillard out of Washington State. Go Cougs again, but not right here. Not go Cougs here. They're not going to draft Andre Dillard. Dalton Reisner is my favorite offensive lineman in this entire class out of Kansas State. He is nasty, nasty, and plays with that mean streak you love. He's a body mover in the running game. He had some reps in the senior bowl in a spotlight drill where he buried his man. The spotlight drill is when they bring everybody around and have guys go one-on-one to kind of get their juices flowing, and he loved it because he buried his guy and started pounding his chest after the rep and celebrated with his teammates. That's the mentality I think Miami will look for on this offensive line. And you watch some of his offensive line tape at Kansas State, and he can be a bit awkward in the way he moves. 
So while it might look ugly at the start, he does eventually get to where he has to be all aligned and squared up on his target. I've even seen him get out and reach the nine technique, which a nine technique is basically where Cameron Wake played the last several years for Miami, playing way out wide outside the tight end. I've seen him get out in space out there and make that block, which is such a unique ability for a guy that can also drive people off the ball in a man gap scheme straight up. He's gap scheme and zone scheme diverse. I think Miami will love Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. And staying outside, moving into day two, early day three range, I can sit here and tell you guys that I've I've watched each one of these tackles, but that's not true. I haven't. And I know that Yadni Kajess is one of the players. He is very stiff and pretty heavy-footed, which I think the Dolphins will not really be interested in. I know Tyus Howard is a guy from a small school that a lot of people like. I haven't seen him much personally outside of the All-Star games. But one of my favorite mid-round type of options is USC's Chuma Adoga. He was the best offensive lineman at Senior Bowl week. He actually won the award for that practice distinction. He can play both sides of the offensive line. I think he probably could kick inside to guard, but I like him at right tackle. He covers a ton of ground on that kick slide, which is imperative for blocking a guy like Cam Wake that has the explosive get off off that right side edge and can really get up feel on you in a hurry. He bends at the knees and that's the thing you're really looking for here because you'll hear knee bender and waist bender. A waist bender is a guy that's stiff in his ankles and his knees and can't really do a whole lot in terms of movement that way and being able to absorb a bull rush. They'll bend over at their waist and go forward, which basically gets them off balance and makes them really, really easy to beat in a one-on-one rep. So you want guys that are knee benders, not waist benders. That's what Chuma Adoga is. It gets pretty thin beyond that. I think if Miami wants to find their starting right tackle this year, it's going to have to come in the first two rounds, which again is another reason I think they move back to stockpile more draft picks. And I'll put this caveat in every episode, unless they go up for a quarterback. Now, This all, of course, comes with a caveat, unless they think that Jesse Davis is an option out there at right tackle, but then you open up yet another hole on the offensive guard position where they already have one at left guard. Let's go ahead and make right guard a hole too, and let's take a minute here on Jesse Davis just real quick because he got pretty well torched last year as far as a player at right guard. He started every game but was not great in that position, and the coaching scheme or coaching tactics of what they had Jesse Davis doing was a bit questionable. And you'll recall Marvin Lewis made fun of Adam Gaze for having Sam Young one-on-one after Laramie Tunzel went out in that game and just got whipped for like three sacks on 12 reps. Well, the same thing happened inside with Geno Atkins going up against Jesse Davis one-on-one without a protector. And what I mean by that is a guy that he can link arms with and kind of chip and then work off the second level there. It was Jesse Davis into his pass set one-on-one with Geno Atkins, one of the best interior pass rushers in the NFL. I just think that that's never going to be success for a player that's not a Pro Bowl quality guard. And Adam Gaze, for whatever reason, didn't think it was important to help him out against Geno Atkins. We'll see what happens with Dan Kilgore at center, but they've talked about their desire to keep him and let him compete for a job there. And that brings us into the center position because I love love this center draft class for guys in particular. I do wonder though if having Kilgore compete makes them consider maybe bypassing on a center early in the draft. But then I also think about the Patriots teams under Bill Belichick and they always had a great center. Most of you probably remember Dan Coppin back in the day, the first portion of their dynasty. And now they've got David Andrews, one of the captains of that entire unit. Building the team up the middle has long been a philosophy in baseball. And it's also a philosophy in football adapted by, adopted by lots of teams like the Patriots. You want to be strong at safety, strong at Mike Backer, strong at quarterback, obviously, strong at defensive tackle, and strong at center on the offensive line. 
and Garrett Bradbury is the best in the entire class. Probably a top 20 pick, at worst, top 25 pick. He did 34 reps on the bench press. He jumped 30 inches vertically and did nearly 10 feet in the broad jump, which shows you the type of lower leg power you want to have on the position, or at this position rather. He showed strike and power in the pad drills in Indianapolis also, and that goes along with elite athleticism. People compare him to Jason Kelsey in Philadelphia, which... If you've never seen Jason Kelsey get out in space on a screen or out on a draw play, you're really missing out watching that if you're into that kind of thing. He can also reach the three technique, which is ridiculous, and his leadership qualities are unanimously praised. That, my friends, is exactly the kind of player the Dolphins want across all metrics. So do they spend their first round draft pick on him? I'm not sure, but really, who the hell is at this point? And then that opens up the possibility for the second round where it is still loaded at this position, the center department in the 2019 NFL draft. My favorite is Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M. He has the ability to reach block. He can drive and finish. He drops the anchor well enough, but he is a zone scheme guy. Played there his entire career at A&M. But I do think he has the power to be able to do both things. Where he comes up short is in his length and size, but I don't worry about it too much because the tape speaks for itself. He's got elite feet and he never missed a start at AM. 36 of the 38 starts came at center there. Lamont Gilliard out of Georgia. I could probably just copy and paste the same thing here from Eric McCoy as he will get out in space and reach. He'll pull in space and pin and pull and do that kind of thing, but he's also longer and some places aren't as keen on him thinking he might be more of a day three guy, but I do not see that. At worst, he goes round three and that's about where I'd put Mississippi State's Eldon Jenkins as well. There's a silent G in there, which throws you off, but he is a mountain of a man different than the other three of our big four here. He's a heady power player that can reposition his hands and reset the rep if he loses initially. He's a little bit of a plotter in terms of slow feet, and that's why he falls at the bottom of this top four group for me in this draft class. And again, I'm going to have to plead the fifth on the rest of the draft class at center. Haven't really gotten into the day three prospects at the position, unfortunately, but I can advise all of you to go check out the draftnetwork.com. Those guys do some really phenomenal work and have sort of taken over this cottage industry that is the draft. And we're going to come back next on the podcast here and talk about the position that, well, I think a help wanted sign is hanging on the main entrance at the training facility at Nova Southeastern University and Davie for this position, the guards. Next, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkville NFL at Locked On Fins. You might recall a previous episode earlier back probably a month or so ago when we discussed the certain traits of the offensive line that you can spot and how to see how well they project at the next level. And we'll do a brief review of that real quick. It always starts with the feet. Do they cover ground with their steps? Are they able to effectively cross over when it's appropriate because it's not always appropriate? Are their steps more stridely, striding or do they take choppy steps? Can they build a base out of their stance and also reposition that base because all the power comes from the trunk, from the calves, from the thighs, from the quads, all the stuff that kind of works below the waist. That's where power comes from in football. Hands, can they shoot their hands inside the chest plate and can they reposition after they lose initially? Do they knock their man back or do they get driven back on initial contact? Because when they make contact, you never want to see them get stood up and taken back. And that's all about pad level, staying low and staying in control, dropping the anchor. That's when you absorb a bull rush, which is just a power rush going straight forward. And you can plant your feet into the ground and hold that rusher at bay, almost like a combination of deadlifting and bench pressing at the same time. 
So with that, let's go ahead and talk about these guards. This is a great class to need guards, and the Dolphins really, really do need guards very badly. Cody Ford, probably the top one in the entire draft class. He did play right tackle at Oklahoma, but he projects inside because, once again, the short arms tend to throw guys inside, like Zach Martin at Notre Dame and now with the Dallas Cowboys. He's a pretty perfect-looking prospect in terms of getting into his pass set and turning into an unpenetrable wall at that point, but he also offers excellent explosiveness and movement in the run game. He is a round one option for the Dolphins, and he's probably going to be at guard, though, again, Jonah Williams does project inside here as well, so he comes into this group as well. Round two, though, is where I think the Dolphins can find their starting left guard, and he goes by the name Chris Lindstrom, though he might sneak into the back end of round number one, but he's got everything you want, that competitive toughness, the drive blocking, the nasty mean streak, the ability to anchor against the interior rush. He is a BC guy, so we know that Brian Flores might have a soft spot for him there, but Daniel Jeremiah at the Combine said, after he ran his 40, just run through that tunnel and head right into the second round to the New England Patriots, because that's where he belongs with the Patriots. No, sir, he belongs in Miami. We want him instead. Go draft Chris Lindstrom in the second round. Drew Samia out of Oklahoma. He met with Miami at the Combine. He's another excellent fit here, but might be at the end of round two, early round three. He's a fixture in Oklahoma's pole concepts with that pin and pole look, which puts him operating horizontally sideways up the field rather than going straight downhill. He's not the powerful player that the other guys have been we've talked about, but he does move at the position the way the Dolphins like guys to move at guard. Penn State's Connor McGovern is built in that same mold. Super, super fluid athlete. But if you go to the Draft Network and look at John Ledyard's comments, he says that McGovern has never seen a stunt that he likes, which means, well, it means that he's not that sharp from a football standpoint. And that's a trait the Dolphins will not like in him. A trait that has been a pain for far too long picking up stunts and twists. Nate Davis from Charlotte has the funkiest stance I've ever seen. The towel in his waistband touches the ground because he bends so low to the ground. He had a terrific senior bowl week. I've never really seen him play outside of that, but according to the draft network, he needs refinement in his pass sets as he can get sloppy in his footwork. He might be an option late in round three, maybe round four as well there too. So those are my guys. Almost certainly we'll be able to point back to this podcast and say they drafted one of them, if not more. And before we get out of here, let's go ahead and gloss over the wide receivers class, even though I expect the Dolphins to sit out on that position as well with the strange Devontae Parker signing. Forget DK Metcalf. That ain't happening. Forget Hakeem Butler. He's a grown-ass man, and I love him. He and Nikhil Harry will not happen. Same goes for Kelvin Harmon, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, where I think the Dolphins come into play, like running back, is round three with Riley Ridley from Georgia, a silky smooth route runner. He has strong hands and can catch the football off of his body, gets in and out of his breaks, and has the long speed you like. The Dolphins met with him at the Combine, too. He is the brother of Calvin Ridley with the Falcons, and if the Dolphins want to keep adding speed, the Ohio State pairing of Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin burned right through the 40-yard dash in Indy and McLaurin was a beast at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. They're they're a nice-looking group of prospects with serious top-end speed. Emmanuel Hall out of Missouri is raw as hell, but I think he's a very intriguing project player for the Dolphins, probably in round three or later. Andy Isabella out of UMass, Penny Hart out of Georgia State, mid-round options in the slot there in Georgia State where Albert Wilson went to school as well. Hunter Renfro out of Clemson. I think everybody in this draft wants Hunter Renfro on their football team. He would make a lot of sense. He just gets open. That's all there is to it. And then David Sills, my guy 
from West Virginia. Probably a fifth or sixth round option at this point, which is crazy to me because he is one of the smoothest trackers of deep balls, the quiet hands. He's very smart and understands the concepts of the passing game because he was a former quarterback before he got to college. So he's a really smart player that fits what the Dolphins want there. And Keelan Doss out of UC Davis, he's my possible seventh round undrafted guy to look at there. So that does it for the offense. The quarterbacks were yesterday. Everything else on today's podcast. We'll continue the series tomorrow with the front seven. An area Miami will certainly attack in this draft class and beyond. We'll get into that here in about 24 hours. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. If you have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just tell it to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull us up right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.